0: At this time, we're going to continue in our sermon series in the Psalms. Summer are in the Psalms, rest for your soul. This morning, we'll be reading Psalm 4. I invite you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. This is Psalm 4, Psalm of David. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But now that the Lord has set apart, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Father, I believe, as always, that this word is for us today, that we need to hear it that you have uniquely crafted this word to speak to where we're at in our lives so that you might bring renewal, reconciliation, that you might bring hope. God, I pray that you would speak through me, your broken servant, and that you might give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. My family and I were on vacation a few months ago, and while on vacation, we had a pretty scary moment. Um, We were walking together toward the beach, and I failed to notice that my oldest daughter had stopped to look at something. And then, all of a sudden, I hear this blood-curdling scream, a sound like I've never before heard out of my daughter's mouth. I'm not exaggerating, it was a scream of terror. So both Stacey and I come running back to check on her, not knowing what tragedy has just occurred, and my heart truly stopped. I, my mind was flooded with thoughts of what might have happened to her. Thankfully, she was okay, and we can even laugh about it now. Turns out that she had picked up a beautiful shell off the ground, and as she was holding it in her hand, some legs came out of that shell <laughs> and began to crawl on her hand. Having never met a hermit crab before, you can imagine how this introduction was startling. (laughs) And what's noteworthy is that my daughter in that moment, she did exactly what we all instinctively do when we're afraid, when we feel powerless. She cried out for help. Psalm 4 is about someone who is afraid, someone who feels powerless over the situation that he's in, And much like my daughter, at the heart of this psalm is a cry for help. Verse 1, answer me when I call, O God. Brothers and sisters, we all know what that feels like, don't we? We know what it feels like to be afraid, to feel utterly and completely powerless. We are surrounded by and consumed with tragedy. We need not look further than the events in Orlando over the past few weeks to be reminded of this. June 11th, reality TV star Christina Grimmie was gunned down by an obsessed fan. The next day, June 12th, Omar Mateen entered into the Pulse nightclub in Orlando and murdered 49 people. The largest mass shooting in the history of this country. June 14th, two days later, Lane Graves, a two year old boy on vacation at Disney, was snatched up and drowned by an alligator. Answer me when I call, oh God. The tragedy isn't restricted to the city of Orlando, is it? In 2016, in Durham alone, we have already witnessed 17 homicides. We are facing an affordable housing crisis in this city that there appears to be no answers to. Our public education system continues to be under-resourced and powerless to adequately position our children for brighter futures. Our minority brothers and sisters still walk in fear of those who have been commissioned to protect them. Answer me when I call, oh God. Tragedy isn't restricted to our city, is it? Many of you are right now feeling afraid and powerless over your circumstances. You're faced with joblessness, homelessness, loneliness, depression, anxiety, divorce, abuse, addiction. Your marriage is on the rocks, your health is failing, your kids are rebelling, your faith is waning, your finances are out of control, and your life doesn't seem worth living anymore. Answer me when I call, oh God. Our text this morning is written by King David, and we know from the scriptures that King David was certainly not immune to tragedy. Let me remind you of just a few of the tragic events that we are aware of in David's life. David was anointed by God to be king, and then shortly after, the presiding king tried to hunt David down and kill him. He had to run for his life. David later became the king, and then shortly after, his own son tried to kill him and take over his throne. Years later, David was forced to outlive this son and had to hear the report of how this son was violently murdered. Maybe worse than all of that, in my opinion, as a father, one of David's own daughters was a brutal victim of rape. David knew tragedy. And here in Psalm 4, David is writing from the midst of one of these great tragedies. And What I love about this psalm, brothers and sisters, is that David intentionally withholds the details of the tragedy that he is facing. Why? Why doesn't he tell us what's really going on here? David does this because he longs for us thousands of years later to be able to grab hold of this psalm and apply it to the present-day tragedies of our own lives. He gives it as a gift to you and I. I don't know what you're facing right now, but I know that God's Word is living and active and that God longs to speak to you directly to the pain and the suffering in your life. And I hope and pray that you receive this Word this morning as God's fresh breath, God's Word spoken to you this morning to whatever you're facing. Two points this morning. First, Who do I call? And second, what is the reward for calling? Who do I call? And what is the reward for calling? Let's begin. Who do I call? Who do I call when I'm afraid and I'm powerless to fix it? The answer to this question is obvious, but maybe it's not so obvious because so many of us fail to put the answer into practice. I know I do. We keep calling the wrong number, if you will. And although David is rightly turning to God here in Psalm 4, I think it's helpful for us to remember times when David didn't turn to God. Second Samuel, we hear about a time where David decided to forego his kingly duties and send out his army without him to go fight his battles. Now, this practice may seem wise in our day and age. I don't think Barack Obama often hops on with the Navy SEALs to go on any of their covert ops but in David's time for a king to hang back was inappropriate and shameful and David knew that some of you know the rest of the story while David was skirting his kingly duties he happened to see a woman Bathsheba bathing he used his kingly influence to demand that she sleep with him and then after he discovered that she was pregnant he had his he had Bathsheba's husband murdered why do I share these two stories because I think they're directly related. I believe that David's decision to sleep with Bathsheba was rooted in what he was feeling about in terms of not going to war. David was wrestling with the shame and the guilt and the fear for not doing what he was called to do. And instead of going to God in that fear and that shame and that doubt, he did something else. He turned to a woman who was not his wife in hopes that that intimate time with her might cause the guilt and the shame to go away. Brothers and sisters, who do you call when you feel afraid, when you feel powerless? Where do you turn to find relief from those gnawing insecurities that keep you up late at night? Do you call your boss? Do you run to your work, to the one place that you know you can be successful in hopes that Success at work will make the fear and the doubt and the loneliness go away. Do you call up the bank in hopes that the security that comes from knowing that there's money in your account will make your fears and your powerlessness disappear? Do you call up Bobby Jones? you escape to the golf course or some other hobby that enables you to leave reality and not face the demons that are haunting you? Do you call up South Point Mall or The Village? Do you run to the retail stores hoping that a new dress or a new pair of shoes or some new electronics will make it all better? Do you call up the Pope? Do you look to your righteousness, to your godliness, your piety as the thing that will satisfy those deep longings in your soul for peace? Do you call up Hugh Hefner? Do you run to pornography to cover over those deep, dark insecurities that you can't seem to shake? Or do you call the dealer? Do you convince yourself that one more hit, one more toke, one more drink will numb that hurt inside of you for good? Brothers and sisters, who are you calling in your time of need? more importantly than that question, if you're honest, is the person that you're calling even answering the phone? Or after you call, do you find that you always seem to be still wanting? I don't know about you, but I have many of those numbers on speed dial. And I continue to call. I'm so tempted to call rather than look to God. Now we all know who we're supposed to call, the text makes it clear, and as Christians we know that we are to call on God and God alone. But clearly we need some convincing, since we're so prone to call somebody or someone else. So why, why should we call on God? Why should we forsake the things of this world? Why does David in Psalm 4 choose this time to call on God rather than on anyone else? The answer is because of God's character, and his covenant, let's begin with his character, how do you know someone's character, how do you know my character, for instance, you might ask someone, I'm a godly man, I could tell you that I'm a godly man, or I could even get my wife to vouch for me, and plead with you to believe that I'm a godly man, but you wouldn't know my character, unless you experience me living it out, And you really don't know my character until you experience me in those hard times. Then you'll know for real what I'm all about. Let's look at how David is aware of God's character. Listen again to the second part of verse 1. You have given me relief when I was in distress. David is confident of God's character because he vividly remembers how God was faithful and present in his darkest hour. I was meeting with someone a couple weeks ago who was wrestling with doubt, which is actually a pretty common topic in my pastoral meetings. Brief aside, you you, you know why, right? You know why that's common, because we all wrestle with doubt, amen? Amen every single one of us, probably me most of all, at time questions whether this Jesus fella is real or he's just a figment of our imagination. I know that every single one of you has that thought at times. So you can feel the freedom to stop pretending that you're not wrestling with doubt, okay? You are free to doubt here at Christ Central. He can handle your doubts just like he can handle mine, amen? Okay, so we're doubting, back to my story, This person's wrestling with doubt, and so I feel led to ask this person to try to convince me that Jesus is real. It's a strange thing to ask someone who's wrestling with doubt, right? And this person, much like many of us would, began to present me with some great apologetic arguments for why the Christian faith is true. Strong, logically sound reasons to believe that Jesus is the Christ. But that's not actually what I was looking for. Because unfortunately, what I've discovered is that when the stuff hits the fan, apologetics and sound logic don't really hold much water. They actually don't help us that much. So instead, I asked this person to go back and read their journals over the past few years and look for tangible evidence of the experience of the person of Christ in their life, to recall and remember his faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, do you journal? You journal? Did you know there's a biblical precedent for journaling? It's called an Ebenezer. The ancient Israelites, they didn't have their their little moleskin binders like we do, but they had this one thing, they had rocks. They had plenty of rocks. So instead of writing in their journal, whenever they experienced God's faithfulness, they would pause and they would pile these rocks up, and it was called an Ebenezer. And they did this so that when life got hard and when they were facing trials again, hopefully they might stumble across one of these piles of rocks and they remember God was faithful. I remember him being faithful. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember. King David is in trouble, he's scared, he's powerless. So where does he turn? He doesn't turn to the greatest apologist of the day to try to convince him that God is still on the throne. No, he recalls and he clings to the experience of God's character in his life. He anchors himself in what he knows to be true from personal experience of the person of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, can can you recall times in your life when God has been faithful to you if not, I would challenge you. It's not that he hasn't been faithful, but it's that you've forgotten. I charge you going forward that you would make Ebenezers, that you would record when God shows himself to be faithful, and that you would be diligent to revisit those Ebenezers when the tragedies of life seem too much to bear. Amen? Amen. It's not just God's knowledge, it's not just David's knowledge of God's character that motivates him to call on God. It's also his knowledge of God's covenant. You may not see this at first glance, but so much of David's cry for help is rooted in promises that God has made to David about the future. We call these promises covenants. Look with me again at verse one. So much packed in this short little statement. He says, answer me, O God, when I call, O God of my righteousness. God of my righteousness. What does that mean? What is he talking about? I I don't want to get too deep into covenant theology here, but at the heart of covenant theology, this understanding of God, is that God says to Israel, to his people, I will be your God and you will be my people. God promises that. And one of the fundamental questions that we see throughout the Old Testament is the nation of Israel is, is asking God, God, we failed to uphold our end of the bargain. We violated the covenant. What should we do? What do we do now? And God responds. He always responds this way. He says, I know you've messed up, but I will bestow my righteousness upon you. I will gift you my righteousness in, in spite of what you have done. If you put your faith in me, I will bestow these good deeds upon you. I will cover over your sins the Old Testament, the way that the Jews showed that they trusted God is through the sacrificial system. They would make sacrifices, and those sacrifices were saying, God, we have failed. We have failed miserably. But we're going to trust that you are going to cover our sin. And we don't understand yet how, but we're going to trust that you will. And we're going to receive as a gift your righteousness. We see this idea repeated in verse 3. David says, but know that lord has set apart the godly for himself therefore the lord hears when i call him david's not delusional here to think that he has perf- perfectly and righteously ad- ad- adhered to the covenant he's not all of a sudden believing that he is in fact righteous and godly we know that he's not he's once again acknowledging that based upon no merit of his own that god has set him apart that God has chosen him and called him out and gifted him God's righteousness. Brothers and sisters, the application here is so huge for us as Christians. If you're a Christian, this is so important. Why does David call on God? Because he's full aware that God has made a covenant with him that declares David to be his own, and nothing can destroy that. Let me push a little harder if I can. So often the trials that we face are as a result of our own sin. Amen. We're in a sticky situation because we've screwed up. We have actually caused the tragedy that we're experiencing. So then how do we call on God? How do we call on the one that we have just dishonored with our lives? We call on God in times such as this through the truth of his covenant. Believing that God has made this promise to us while we were yet sinners that we don't deserve an ounce of God's favor, but he gives it anyway, that we always stand as those who are unworthy recipients of God's grace. That's who we are. That's what the covenant promises. I will be your God, and you will be my people, no matter what. He is the God of our righteousness, and the one who has set us apart as godly. It's our clear understanding of this that causes us to have confidence to call on him in times of trouble. I got arrested in college, and I was so scared of the consequences of what might happen to me when my parents found out. And so, instead of calling my parents, I called my girlfriend's mom to bail me out. Yeah, that's a, you can laugh. That's, that's kind of funny and kind of sad. It, it was <laughs> it was years later that I found out that me not calling my dad was very hurtful to him. It was hurtful because it was ignorant of the covenant that my dad had made with me. You see, he had promised and clearly communicated to be my father, to be my dad, and to love me as his son no matter what. And by refusing to call him in that moment, I was, I was rejecting that promise. I was shunning him. God has made a covenant to be our God, to be the God of our righteousness, and that covenant cannot be broken. And so we can call on him, and he promises to hear. Amen? Amen. Why does David call on God? He calls on him because of his character and his covenant. Or said differently, because he knows the past and he knows the future. It's it's our knowledge of the past and the future that always motivates us in the present. It's the knowledge of God's character in the past and his promise in the future that empowers us to call on him. So what's the reward? What is the reward for us making the call? What's the return on investment? What happens if we do this, if we trust God and we call on him in our darkest hour? It's an important question because... By calling on God, we're refusing to call on those other things, and if we're honest, those other things that we often call on do provide some level of satisfaction. They do scratch where we itch just a little bit. And so we're, we're, we're gambling here, we're trusting that God is truly going to satisfy, and we're pushing aside all those other things that we've looked to time and time again. So what is the payoff? The payoff is perspective and peace. Perspective. Psalm 4 is one of the more unique Psalms because it highlights a transformation that takes place in David during the actual writing, or maybe better said, during the singing of this Psalm. Verse 1 Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David is here pleading with God to answer. But what's interesting is that here in verse 1, David clearly has no assurance of God's deliverance. He's not sure how God's going to respond. That's why he's crying out. He's hopeful, but he has no assurance that God will come through for him. Now listen to verse 8 and hear the profound difference between the beginning and the end of the psalm. Verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Here, David has full assurance that good things are coming. So, what happened? What has happened between verse 1 and verse 8? The answer is simple but so important. Between verse 1 and verse 8, David prayed. He prayed. David cried out to God. And what we learn from this psalm is that through prayers that are rooted in God's character and covenant, we are transformed. When we pray in this way, our heart changes. We receive a whole new perspective on life. Our doubt is replaced with assurance. What a powerful motivator for us to pray, to cry out to God in our need. But not only do we receive a new perspective, more than just perspective, we receive that which we are most desperately longing for, for peace. David finds peace, rest from the trials and tribulations, from the fear, from the powerlessness. But how? What's interesting is there's nothing in this song that reveals that God has intervened to put an end to David's suffering. It appears as though whatever David was struggling with in verse 1, he is still struggling with in verse 8. But now he has peace. From where does this peace come We so often think that the goal of our praying is that God will reach down into the pit that we are dwelling and pull us out. But experience tells us that that's not often how it plays out. Amen? Amen. We pray and our sufferings continue. And if we're careful, we can miss the answer to our prayer. You see, because so often, instead of reaching down into the pit and pulling us out, our God instead climbs down into that deep, dark pit with us, and He suffers alongside of us. My oldest daughter at times has bad dreams. And in those dreams, there's a whole host of things that might hurt or harm her. And when she comes to me, she often asks me to do something that I cannot do. Make the dreams stop. Make the nightmares go away. But there is one thing that I can do. I can climb in bed with her, and my presence assures her that it's going to be okay. And it's amazing how me just lying there, she falls right to sleep. She feels rest. And that bad dream may come back, but she can take shelter in my body and find the rest that she so desperately longs for. David never experienced the fullness of God climbing into the pit with him in his lifetime. But we have tasted it, haven't we? The greatest trial that we ever face is our sin and our condemnation, and we deserve it. And we stand rightly accused as deserving of God's wrath. And instead of God simply pulling us out of the pit, he chose to climb in with us. Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh and suffered with us. He felt the pains of this world and then he bore the greatest pain and suffering this world had to offer. The one that we could not bear, the cross. And it's through his death that he brings us out with him. That's the ultimate fulfillment of God's covenant promise that one day we will suffer no more and we will dwell with him in paradise. I heard a quote a couple years ago, and I want to conclude with this. It, no quote has more shaped me than this quote in my whole life. The quote is, life is tragic, God is faithful. Life is tragic, God is faithful. I don't know if there's any truer statement than that. Life is tragic, isn't it? It hurts. And the only thing that keeps us from drowning in the tragedy of life is our knowledge of the character and covenant of our God, His faithfulness in the past and His promised faithfulness in the future. And it's that knowledge of His faithfulness that compels us to cry out. To cry out to Him in our darkest hour and we can rest assured that when we cry out, our Lord Jesus Christ will enter into the nightmare of our life and lay beside us And when the nightmare comes back, he's still with us in it. And we can be rest assured that he will give us the strength that we need to overcome. Amen? Amen. Answer me when I call, O God. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do not want to make light of or minimize the reality of suffering in this room. There are many who are hurting deeply right now. Lord, and you penned this song for them. It is their tune that they need to sing this morning. Lord, they cry out to you, answer me when I call. Father, would you remind them of your character, of your covenant, and would that compel them to cling to you in whatever trial they're facing? And would you give the good gift of rest, knowing that the suffering may not go away, but we will have assurance that you are with us in the suffering, and one day you will come back and bring us home. We know that to be true because your word says so. Remind us today, in Jesus' name, amen.